must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Pollan, and today we have the incredible honor to welcome a true PT legend and innovator to the practice of orthopedic manual therapy, as today we're so humbled to welcome Brian Mulligan onto the show today. And, and Brian, thank you so much for your work and service to the profession of PT, as you certainly have been one of the clinical innovators of our profession, along with others, of course, including, but not limited to, you know, Robin McKenzie, Jeff Maitland, Stanley Paris, James Syriax, Freddie Calton, Warren, Bob Elvey, and, and so many others. So, you know, it's truly an honor to have you on, and thank you so much for your time and service. My pleasure. So, you know, I got to ask, with everything that you've kind of done throughout your career and such, what are you doing nowadays in New Zealand? Like, what, is the, what does an average day look like now in the life of Brian? Well, in the life of Brian, I'm still reasonably busy. I've just finished the seventh edition of my book, which has taken many months. And every day I'm involved with my teaching organization. I spend hours dealing on my computer with questions from all around the world. And uh, I travel a great deal still. And next year will be my last year of travel. I think that's a good idea to stop while you're still alive. Fair enough. So apart from doing work, what are some other fun things do you like to do? What are your other hobbies besides traveling? Well, I, I, I do like traveling. I, I enjoy it. But I play golf three days a week and I start at daybreak with a friend and I do it because when you get to my age, exercise is very important. And I'm not a good golfer, but at least I walk about eight kilometers and uh, yeah. that I think is very, very good for me. Absolutely. Well, I guarantee you right yeah. now, your golf swing is probably way better than mine. No way. <laughs> oh, I, I'd be willing to bet on that one there. Let's just say it did not go so well. <laughs> so I've kind of abandoned Fair. golf for the time being. But, you know, Brian, just because I know that, you know, with you throughout your career, again, like I kind of mentioned earlier, you've worked with so many amazing people in the profession. So, you know, I'm curious to just to know what was it like working with people like Robin McKenzie, Jeff Maitland, Stan Paris, and so many other inspirational contributors to the PT profession. And what have you learned from them? All of the people you've mentioned contributed to my knowledge in manual therapy. And it started, of course, with Jeff Maitland, who was an incredible man. And he came to New Zealand. And would you believe the first time he ever lectured outside Australia, he came to New Zealand many, many years ago to a conference of ours. And he actually stayed with my wife and I. And wow. we were so honored to have Jeff Maitland. But 
he put us on the road to manual therapy and made us look further. And uh, all the other people you've mentioned have contributed to my knowledge, but I must put Freddie Carltonborn at the top of the list because he taught me to manipulate every joint and he gave me my mobilizing skills. And without those, I would never be where I am today. I think that's fascinating. And, you know, I know people that go to the Mulligan courses hear the story about how you kind of found out and developed mobilizations with movement. But, you know, I recognize that some of our listeners may not have heard the story. You know, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit of how this idea and concept of mobilizations with movement started and how that led you to really to developing the Mulligan Concept Teachers Association? All right. Um, many years ago, in 1985, I had a, a young lady come in to see me with a very swollen interphalangeal joint. And in those days, I was teaching manual therapy. I had a diploma in um, manual therapy, and uh, it was my world. And this particular girl didn't respond to all the techniques I tried. And then I tried a, just a, a lateral translation of a finger just to see what would happen. And she yelled, oh, that's painful. And I tried in the other direction. She made a comment to me. Oh, she said, that doesn't hurt. And I don't know what made me do this, but while I sustained that little movement, I said, can you move your finger? And she moved her finger straight away. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. And of course, she thought it was a regular treatment. She, oh, she said, that's much better. And I said, of course. And so uh, I don't know what I'd done, why something that was so swollen and so painful responded so quickly. And it didn't hurt her. And I've got a very tolerant wife. I've been with her for oh, over 60 years. So I asked her permission to dream about this girl. When I say <laughs> dream about her, I'm talking about her finger. And the only explanation I could come up with was maybe there was a positional fault. And when I corrected that positional fault and sustained that correction, it enabled the joint to move. Now, on that basis, I wanted another finger. And in a general practice, how many fingers did I get? One or two a year. Yeah. <laughs> and I, this bothered me. So I started to experiment with my patients. And I couldn't believe it. I, was, I would come home almost every day with a miracle. Something special had happened. And that was the beginning of, of mobilizations with movement. And uh, we went from there from joint to joint. But much has changed since then. Sure. And I mean, even just taking a couple courses myself and learning from some great people um, such as Mark Thompson and Eric Dinkins, it's been really interesting and really kind of eye-opening just to see how it seems like doing so little can make such a huge effect and how quick of a response you can see with retesting yep. that movement that that patient was having particularly pain or difficulty with. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like from your perspective with that, what apart from what you had kind of just mentioned there, what are some unique features that makes mobilization with movement different from other forms of manual therapy or even just generalized physical therapy and treatments and applications? I think it's unique. And I make this claim now when I'm lecturing around the world and I get up before a large audience and I say to them that mobilizations with movement are special because in the entire field of musculoskeletal medicine, our concepts are the only ones which, when indicated, give you an instant pain-free result. Now, I'm talking about the entire field of musculoskeletal medicine. 
And people will say to me, wait on, I can get an instant result and I don't hurt the patient with the manipulation. And I say, so can I. But can you use a manipulation on a sprained ankle or a, or a painful hip? Oh, no, I'm talking about the entire field. So it makes it quite unique. And the wonderful thing about it is it only takes you a couple of minutes to decide if, if the techniques are indicated. And if you get no result, you do something else. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. I, that's something I really respect from the teachers that I've had from Mulligan is that they're not just saying this is the only way. They're like, no, this is a way. No. If it doesn't work, try Thank something. Thank you. Different. That's right. Exactly. But if you, and I have a, now a doctor friend who wants to become a teacher, and he wants our concepts available to everybody in China. Oh, and wow. he's going to become a teacher. And I remember him asking me, he said, Brian, how many teachers have you got? And I think I said at the time, oh, 65. He said, I want 65 teachers in China. <laughs> and I, that, that, I thought that was a very special thing for him to say. But, uh, you know, he, he will teach for me in China after he's become a teacher. Well, there you go. And, and you know, Brian, I kind of have one follow-up. I'm just curious because you had initially thought that when you first developed the mobilization with movement, you kind of initially hypothesized that it was more of a positional fault thing. So moving that, changing the joint can restore that movement. I, I'm curious as to with all that we've learned over the past few decades in terms of research, mechanisms of manual therapy and such, how if and if has your thoughts changed on the mechanisms of how mobilization with movement works? Like, has it changed at all since the onset? Not grossly, but something is going on in the head at the same time. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that something so simple can achieve so much and it's long lasting. And so I think there's a, there's a central nervous system response going on. And uh, I don't even try to explain that. It's not my field of expertise, but um, there is more to it. Yes, there's more to it. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. So Brian, what do you think has been your greatest contribution to our profession? I think that the, it's the whole concepts. And of course, these days, our, when we're teaching, our concepts have four separate sections to, to, to the whole program. The biggest section, of course, are mobilizations with movement that we've just been talking about. But there are three other sections. One, are pain release phenomenon techniques. And that's amazing. That's got something to do with the brain. I think it's just amazing what you can achieve with these. Then there's another one to do with the muscles around the hip. And that's very important especially if you're dealing with sporting injuries or you're in the field of sport, so many physiotherapists are. And the fourth one is something to me which is very special, and it's to do with the knee. And I believe we now have a new diagnosis that can cause disablement, if you like, with a knee joint, and I call it a distortion of the meniscus. And I've got a technique which, when it works, just goes just like that, it's a miracle. A swollen knee suddenly bends, it straightens, and the swelling goes down in 24 hours, and the patient's instantly better. So there are four different things there. But 85% of what we teach would be mobilizations with movement. But can I add there my favorite quote, which you actually noted? In the field of discovery, chance only favors a prepared mind. And can I tell you that when I try all the techniques that I I was teaching and didn't get a result. And suddenly, 
something spectacular happened, say, with a finger, I did have a prepared mind. <laughs> I just had to go from there. And the same happened with the squeeze technique for the knee and the same happened with PRPs. All those things occurred and I was able to develop them because of that, what Louis Pasteur said. I had a prepared mind. I, I really like that. And I think that's honestly a very good message for all clinicians to really hear because as we've learned, there are so many different ways to help patients with different things. And I think it's not wrong to try something new and because you never know no. what it might lead to. That's right. That's right. So Brian, as you kind of had mentioned earlier, you've been doing a lot of teaching throughout the course of your career and you got one more year of doing that. So, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm really curious since we're an education based podcast, what have you learned about successful teaching and education over the course of your career from everything that you've done? I believe that when you're teaching, you, you must do two things. You must one have enthusiasm. You must believe in what you're teaching and that must come across to the audience. And, you know, uh, I, I get concerned about lectures these days at conferences. PowerPoint's always being used. They put up sentence after sentence. And for those that can't read, they read what's on the board. And I've learned to not do that. And I've also learned to involve the audience. And another thing I've learned when teaching, I like to show people what I can do, not tell them what I can do. Mm -hmm. And that makes a tremendous, in, if I've got 400 people before me and I can get people on stage and do something straight away to that person and it's pain free and I get a result, that's, that's a good way to teach. Sure. It's <laughs> a good way to teach. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm sure your audience engagement is huge after that. It is huge. And, and just one other thing about teaching, if you've got to present, say, for three hours, and I'm often asked to talk, say, for three hours, I'm going to talk for three hours in Madrid next year. You can't have an audience sitting for three hours listening to you. I don't care how good your subject is. Uh, they, there's an old saying that the mind can only absorb what your butt can endure. <laughs> I like so that. I have an alarm going every 20 minutes when I'm lecturing, not when I'm teaching because we keep stopping and practicing. But when I'm giving lectures, my alarm goes. And that's wonderful. People stand up. And they love it. And, you know, three hours goes quickly. And, of course, it lets me know where I am time-wise because when it rings every 20 minutes, I say, oh, good, I'm halfway through the first hour or third of the way through the first hour. But, uh, you know, I'm teaching, I, I just love it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think those are some really good points. And, you know, getting back to you, had said earlier that uh, Jeff Maitland and Freddie Kaltenborn were probably two of the most influential people in that kind of with your development. Knowing that and apart from what you had kind of just mentioned, what are some of the characteristics from Freddie Kaltenborn and Jeff Maitland that they portrayed that really made them be super effective to learn from? I guess it was their presentation and their confidence. Jeff Maitland made you want to know more <laughs> with what he told you. It, yeah. And of course, I was years ago when I qualified, people didn't even know what a physiotherapist was. And to suddenly have people introduce us to a new field in physiotherapy, to me, was exciting because their profession was only developing. And anyone that was helping the development of physiotherapy was important to me. And, you know, I say, I, and another thing when teaching, of course, lecturing, I like to show what I can do, not tell. And the master of that was Robin McKenzie. 
Mm-hmm. He would get up before an audience and he would treat people with a lateral shift or a bad back. And you could see what he was doing and the results he was getting. That's, that's a good teacher. Yeah. And even just taking a McKenzie course myself, that's definitely what they did as well. Like, I like how this is application. This is real. This isn't just going yep. in from the book point. This is like, here's the knowledge, but here's how it's actually applied. And I think, at least for me, that's very, very helpful. Yes, I agree with you totally. So Brian, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And we've talked about educators. Now I want to switch gears a little bit to more focusing on clinicians. So I'm just curious, what are, in your opinion, what are the characteristics of the best and most effective clinicians that you've been around? If there are any differences from educators, like you'd mentioned. With clinicians, they should treat with confidence and enthusiasm, and the patient must be involved in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you can tell straight away some people get hold of a patient, they talk to them, they explain what they're going to do, and they do it with confidence. And... uh, I think that's important to go and say, look, I'm going to try and see if I can help you or maybe this might be useful. That's not the attitude. You should get up there and say, bang, I'm going to see what we can do. You know, you must have enthusiasm. And, you know, I I was at a conference in India a few years ago and a wonderful Australian physiotherapist came across and she presented a paper at that conference. And she was a certified Mulligan practitioner. And she was invaluable to me as a result of that journey she made. Because when she got back to Australia, she emailed me a week later and said, Brian, my life has changed because of my visit to India. And and she explained to me, she said to me, Brian, I watched you treating people on stage in India and you had would have had an 80% or more success rate with everyone that came on stage. And you would treat any part of the body. Anyone got a bad shoulder, come out. Tennis elbow, come out. And she said, I wasn't having an 80% success rate. I was having a 30 or 40% success rate with your techniques. And she said, why don't I have the same results? And she said, I know why. She said there were two things. One was confidence, and the other was handling skills. And if you haven't got good handling skills, you're clumsy, you won't get good results with my techniques, nor will you with anyone else's. And when you've got confidence, you spend a little bit more time making subtle changes in what you're doing, because you expect it to work. And you'll get a result because of that in 80%. And if you haven't got those skills to make those changes, then your success rate may only be 30 or 40%. I was in America, teaching with one of my colleagues, and I asked all the people that were present that had passed the CMP exam, they were certified Mulligan practitioners, would they gather at the end of the day, I wanted to have a word with them. And they did. And I said to them, I chose different people at random, what's your success rate using our techniques? And it turned out to be 30 or 40%, like our Australian colleague. And... um, It just meant that we must stress more the importance of handling skills and confidence. And if you haven't got handling skills, well, you can't manipulate, you can't mobilize, there are many things you cannot do. I think that's a really, really important point for all all clinicians really to hear, especially emphasizing the need for 
confidence and proper handling skills. And of course, like you had said, realizing that they become developed and with practice and such, as that should develop a much higher success rate. So, you know, I, after kind of getting, gathering all that, so let's say you're now speaking to a, all the new physiotherapists that are about to enter the workforce in today's clinical environment. What advice would you give to all those newer therapists on how to succeed and how to progress the profession forward? That's a good question, isn't it? Um, I do see physiotherapy students and get a chance to lecture them. But the first thing I tell them is that you can, you must never give up learning. And uh, you must be alert to the fact that there's still so much to do in every profession in the world. Advancement is there and uh, they should be part of it. And I tell them that in physiotherapy particularly, people now tend to specialise. They, they work with chests, they, they work with children, they work with mental, at least um, brain conditions. And I tell them they must, if they're in the field, musculoskeletal medicine, they must do the courses available. And then I cheekily tell them, you must do my courses. But um, it's got a good future. Well, then that kind of actually leads perfectly into my next question here. So, you know, from your perspective, with all that you've seen, what is your ideal vision for the profession of physiotherapy across the world? Like, what do you hope to have it? What do you hope for it to be? That's a good question. Should with the years now required to qualify, have sufficient knowledge and ability to become primary health care practitioners. Now, I'm talking about the world in general, Mm -hmm. and especially in the field of musculoskeletal medicine. Now, in many countries, physiotherapists still can only treat patients on medical referral, and many insurance companies will have nothing to do with them. Now, in New Zealand, we are primary healthcare practitioners. The two main health insurers give all their customers so many dollars worth every year of physical therapy or physiotherapy. They respect us as professionals, and they're prepared to pay for our services. Again, we don't have to have a referral. We are, you know, not standing on our own feet. And the other thing I'd like to happen, there are lots of poor countries, and I'm just horrified at just how poor physiotherapists are in some parts of the world. And I would like the educators in those countries, the physiotherapy educators, I'd like them to be funded so that they can go to other parts of the world and improve their, their ability to, to teach physical therapy. And I would also like uh, funding for our educators to go to those poorer countries and teach as well. So we've got a lot of work to do in parts of the world, but I believe the standard of physiotherapy education will continue to improve. But in learning all this, we're losing our ability to use our hands. We've become more exercise therapists than manual therapists. And in one very important country, some hospitals don't want any manual therapy. They just want exercise. And I thought, good Lord, what's happening in the world? It's definitely very interesting. And I know after doing the podcast, we've talked with people who have done a lot of mission work overseas from like treating patients, but also training yep. um, educators. And that's, and it's, that's including people from IFOMT, health volunteers overseas. And there's a lot of people that have been involved. And I've just, we had an episode not too long ago where 
Um, they've talked about their experience from China, Peru, and it was just fascinating to hear the progression of the educate the level of the educators over that time from what they've done. So I, I totally agree with you in that the future is looking bright, but it, just from hearing how it is in those countries, it seems like there definitely still is some ways to go. Oh gosh, yes. I, one from one African country, a professor there, I think, gets three thousand eight hundred dollars a year. Oh wow! Just how can you live on seventy something dollars a week? I, I, oh, I, I just feel awful about that. No, I, I'm with you on that, and it's and I think the big thing is just having more people get involved and contribute. Like, well, Brian, this has been a really, really, really fascinating discussion, and. We normally ask our, our guests every single time this last question because we're just curious to hear what everyone's thoughts are. And if you want to reiterate a point that you had already made or bring up something totally new, that's totally fine with this. So the question is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, physiotherapy or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? Oh, I've got an answer that probably deviates from that question, but I want more hands-on physical therapy. We talk about the pendulum with manual therapy. There is a time when there's, everyone's learning manual therapy and there's a time when very few, and this has gone on in the last 60-odd years that I've been practising. There's been an enthusiasm for it, and then it waned. Australia was the greatest country in the world for manual therapy. Every state had a postgraduate program in manual therapy. Now, only Perth does this. You can't go and get a postgraduate diploma in all the other states of Australia. It's disappeared. Wow. They took them out. What on earth is going on, I don't know. Now, someone might correct me and say, oh, yes, we do do it, but to my knowledge... It's it's on the wane. And when the great Australian, Jeff Maitland, gave me the sort of impetus to get crashing and learn manual therapy, there's the, I've let it slide. And uh, but my concepts alone, they are absolutely invaluable and they should be available to everybody. Now, who is going to, who's going to teach them? Who's going to do something about it? I now teach chiropractors. I teach osteopaths. I've been, I'm now teaching doctors as well as physiotherapists. All these other professions are interested in what we're doing. But physiotherapy, well, it's not as good as it should be. And uh, I just hope that they just start using their hands a bit more. Do you think the pendulum will swing back the other way or do you think something will, else will happen? Of course, yes, of course it will. Of course it will. If you're not using your hands, you might as well do a phys ed degree. Why do a physiotherapy one? You know, you're just giving exercises. Why you've got, no, we've got to use these hands. Just think about the excitement that I have when I'm privileged to get with a large audience. Even when I got that special award in Glasgow, mm -hmm. I had seven minutes. And I wanted to show people what I could do, not tell them what I could do. Right. And I remember saying, audience, any people here with tennis elbow? And I saw two hands go up and I said, please, could you run out here? There were, what, 1,000, 2,000 people present. And these people rushed up on stage. And in the time available, they left that stage pain-free. 
their tennis elbow symptoms were not there as a result of using my ant. And on stage also, a man appeared because the day before he told me, and he was in the room where they take all your videos and things and put them together. He said, I haven't been able to bend my knee for four years. I hurt it. And it took 30 seconds to give him a full range of flexion. And he came on stage with these two ladies and squatted up and down happily after four years. And when, when we can do that, I want everyone to do it. I want everyone to have the excitement that I get. And I can't believe at 86 years I'm still teaching. The rewards I get, just treating patients, are just they can't be measured. And uh, I want everyone to do what I can do. Well, and your enthusiasm for what you do is just extremely apparent. And I mean, I think that's what's made you so good at what you do. Well, I'm lucky. I'm fortunate. And uh, when I qualified at the same time as McKenzie, um, physio had no status. People would say to my wife, your husband's a physiotherapist. What's that? <laughs> Today, it's got a status. And let's keep it going. Very nice. Well, I like it. Well, Brian, it's been a really, really fascinating and enlightening chat. And it's been great to get your perspective on so many things. And I, I again, I really appreciate your time for speaking today, but also for everything you've done. Um, where can people find out more about the Mulligan concept online? Or where can they look if they want to find out more about that? Oh, please just go to my webpage. And uh, there's something else coming out. Wayne, Dr. Wayne Hing and Dr. Toby Hill are bringing out the new edition of their uh, special book on my concepts. It's got 500 pages, and it's a university textbook. It's of the highest standing. And every technique that's shown in that book, the level of evidence is also given, and every research article supporting what they're saying is listed. And it's, it's a tome, and if you read it, you'll see that everybody should be learning this stuff. These two guys are geniuses and what they've put together is absolutely magnificent. It's extremely expensive, but uh, it's every university should have it. If you don't mind me asking, Brian, how much is it? Well, the old copy was about $128. And that, in, my, in South Africa, not South Africa, but in Africa and places, they can't afford a book like that. But everything's there. The level, it even says the level of evidence for this is, say, five or this is two or whatever. But it's then given to you, the evidence, so you can look it up. And I don't know of another textbook for the entire musculoskeletal system that comes anywhere near this book for quality and information. That's really interesting. And for our listeners who are listening right now, if you want to check out the book, go ahead and just check out it in the show notes and it'll take you right to the link for the site. Well, Brian, again, thank you so much for your time and everything. Oh, don't thank me. Can I thank you for giving me the opportunity? No, thank you for volunteering your time and service. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure, Brendan. Goodie. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. 
thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.